Uh, welcome again, Political as Heck, podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Assel, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's going on, Todd? Hey, Corey, not too much. Cool. Well, we had a political earthquake in Utah politics this week. Senator Mitt Romney announced that he will not seek re-election. In a statement, he said, I've spent my last 25 years in public service of one kind or another. At the end of another term, I'd be in my mid-80s. Frankly, it's time for a new generation of leaders. They're the ones that need to make the decisions that will shape the world they will be living in. First, I want to say I'm surprised by that, and I'm sure you're going to say the same. I thought for sure he was going to run, but many people uh, disagreed with me for quite a while. I have been telling people for two or three years that Mitt Romney, uh, that if he ran for re-election, that he would win. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my estimation, but I, I've been telling people all year he's going to run for re-election. So I, I was surprised. I can't say I'm shocked, um, but I was surprised by that. And, um, you know, I like what he said when we're watching Mitch McConnell freezing and Nancy yep. Pelosi slurring her words and Diane Feinstein being wheeled around by a staff and she doesn't even know, you know, doesn't even appear to know what's going on sometimes I like the precedent he's setting. I like the leadership he's showing and stepping down. But I also can't help but think if he if he really believed that Mike Kennedy is a very capable person of being a U.S. senator and ran, you know, five years ago. And Mitt Romney wasn't quite ready to hand over the baton then. But, you know, I, I'm not trying to be critical because I do think that he's I think he's making the right decision and setting a good example for other senators to hopefully follow. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think I actually think there's there's a difference between 70s and 80s and not just yeah. the number, but I mean I think yeah. just for speed of life and that sort of thing and and so I I want to thank him for being self-aware and cognizant of the fact that I mean not President Biden, we just saw his performance in Vietnam and it was it was just baffling that <laughs> uh He's, he's, not, he's not fit for it. And and, 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 and in his defense, he'd been up for like 27 hours or whatever, but still it was it was not presidential. Okay, you're up for 27 hours. That's part of the job, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. that's why an 80, 80-something-year-old shouldn't be doing it, really. Yeah. But yeah. Um, in any event, uh, I do think that this is going to pump some serious life into the caucus and convention next year because <laughs> we're going to have a presidential straw poll and we're going to have now a u.s senate race so let's go through some candidates who's going to replace him well we know that utah speaker of the house brad wilson has been in an exploratory committee i haven't heard yet whether he's he's transitioned into a an actual campaign but i'm sure that's imminent in fact i know it is because the the leadership is already talking about the leadership shuffle that's going to happen in the house and they're already planning on it so uh, another would be Riverton Mayor Trent Staggs. Um, I haven't gotten to know him, but I, I you know, I got to think that his best chance was if Romney stayed in um, because he's going to get swamped by a lot of money, but maybe not. He'd probably still be competitive at the the convention. Also, uh, Carolyn Fippen. Um, and, she, you know, she also uh, a strong uh, conservative and well-known among folks. Tim Ballard, who we're going to talk about in a minute, not quite yet. And, uh, and then... Robert O'Brien, who was Trump's national security advisor. I don't know if he's ever lived in Utah or from Utah or has any connections to Utah, but um, he, certainly he's he more has than lived in Utah. Utah. He has Utah connections. I've seen him at several events in the last two years 
or so since Trump's been out of office. So, okay. And then others, other names that have been uh, thrown out there, John Curtis, Deidre Henderson, Jason Chaffetz has been going around and I've heard quite a few people, uh, several people have said to me that they hadn't seen him in years and he's popping up all over the place. Um, you know, Kirk Jowers is a perennial. Interesting enough, uh, Attorney General Sean Reyes says he's not going to be in and he's going to endorse someone. I don't know if he actually did it, but most people thought that was going to be Tim Ballard. We'll talk about Ballard in a minute. Greg Hughes also said he's out and Governor Cox says he's out. So what do you think, Todd? Um, so I, I mean, I think that in my mind right now, the front runner is Brad Wilson. Um, I had a lot of people before the news broke on Friday about Tim Ballard think that if Tim Ballard ran, that he would be a front runner. And, um, uh, I, one name you didn't mention is Thomas Wright. I know, um, from friends that Thomas Wright is certainly thinking about a run. Of course he ran for governor, um, when Spencer Cox won in 2020. And let, let's be honest, there will be a host of people that we've never heard of before that will probably file for the Senate seat. It is interesting. Um, I think that most of the major candidates will gather signatures. Um, and even though Brad Wilson did not gather signatures for his own House seat last year, I think, I think you'll see him gather signatures for a Senate race. I'm just guessing um, that he would gather signatures. But I just want to point out, um, if you gather signatures and you get your 27, 28,000 signatures, you're guaranteed a, spa, a spot on the primary. But the the Trent Skaggs and the Carolyn Fippins, the kind of the caucus purists, they kind of limit themselves to one slot because they they won't gather signatures because it's not within their you know Republican constitution to do so. But by doing that, they 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 all, I mean, only one of them can come out of convention, right? And um, Brad Wilson has conservative bona fides. So even if he gathers signatures like Spencer Cox did, Spencer Cox gathered signatures and still won the convention uh, in 2020. So you could still see someone like Brad Wilson win the convention with signatures, which would knock out the non-signature gatherers. And, you know, with Greg Hughes getting tossed uh, from the Delta Convention last June and, you know, Steve Handy last year, I, I think uh, I've heard it said before, in fact, Mike Lee has said it's political malpractice in Utah not to gather signatures. I well, think- he did. I'm going to cut you off real quick because yeah. I think this this is a point that that is misunderstood. Mike yeah. Lee easily won the convention, but he did gather signatures and not just that, he... He blocked others from using yes. certain firms. Yeah, he paid he paid extra to gather the company called Gather so that they would only gather for him. Now, a lot of people don't know this, Corey, but Mike Lee gathered signatures in 2016 and in 2022. 20, uh, mm -hmm. So he's gathered signatures. So the the Senate Bill 54 was passed in 2014. So the uh, so he's gathered signatures uh, on both of his reelection cycles. But it's going to be interesting to see. Because uh, delegates tend to gravitate towards the more of the purists, I'm, I'm making air quotes, who don't gather signatures. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see who does and doesn't. I don't expect Trent Skaggs, uh, Staggs, what I, if Carolyn Fippen runs, I don't think she would gather signatures. Uh, if a Tim Ballard or Brad Wilson runs, I think that they would gather signatures just because their advisors, well, Tim's pretty new to politics, but I think his advisors would tell him to do so. And he has the ability to raise that money. So uh, Thomas Wright, um, I think he gathered, yeah, he gathered signatures 
in 2020, which is why he was on the ballot uh, for governor. So, I, I, you know, if Tim Ballard, based on this negative publicity that's come out over the weekend, if he decides not to run, I, I, I wonder if um, if that would make Sean Reyes reevaluate his options and running because those two have been close in the past. Um, and Jason Chaffetz, I think, uh, and I like Jason, I've known Jason for a lot of years. I think he would have a really hard time. Um, he, remember, he was reelected and four months in to his you know, fourth term, he announces in April, I'm going to be stepping down at the end of, end of May or, or June 1st or whatever. And so it cost the state $3 million to host a special election because he just decided when he was sleeping on his cot on his 50th birthday that that he didn't want to be there anymore and what was he doing with his life and and he could make a lot more money with Fox News. So after stepping down from a congressional position that he just got reelected to, I think he would have a hard time telling voters, you know what, I want to go back to D.C. now. Um, I just I don't know that I, I don't know that that's going to be an easy I, I think there's a better chance that you see Jason Chaffetz at some point run for governor uh, rather than U.S. Senate. But I've I'm just I'm just speculating. I don't have any insider knowledge there. Yeah, it's really interesting. But in any event, we're I think we're on our way to. I mean, it's an open seat. An open Senate yeah. seat doesn't come on come around very often. I mean, I would watch John Dougal, too. I would not be shocked if John Dougal threw his hat in the ring. He has been auditor for almost 10 years now. He spent 10 years in the House of Representatives, Utah House, State House before that. And he goes to every Lincoln Day dinner. He goes to every convention. He's been building up this, you know, political, um, you know, profile for 10 years or 20 years, really. So it wouldn't shock me if he if he ran. And I don't think he would gather signatures if he ran. It's a good time to be a political consultant in Utah, yeah. is what I think. Yeah. Um, hey, maybe be... you and I should start a business. We could make some money. <laughs> they don't want my advice, but okay. somebody, a lot of somebodies are going to make a lot of money. Uh, yes. Because, I mean, we've we've had wealthy candidates in the past run for Senate, of course, um, and spend a lot of money. But I think this time around, you're going to see a lot of people spend a lot of money. So. Yeah. You know, a friend of mine and I were joking, you know, four years ago that we should we should start a political consulting company and and have Jeff Birmingham. You know, he ran for governor and spent like five million dollars. We should have him as a client. But in any event. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Tim Ballard. So I'm going to I'm just going to read this straight from Fox 13 News report. Fair use. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has removed articles promoting Tim Ballard and the nonprofit he founded, Operation Underground Railroad. The removals occurred on the same day of the, of the church releasing a statement citing betrayal and condemning Ballard for, quote, morally unacceptable behavior. The statement was in response to documents obtained by Vice News detailing a criminal investigation into Tim Ballard and his nonprofit. Uh, and in that video... It's quoted as saying, Tim is fully convinced that he is supposed to be the Mormon Messiah and lead people back to the church. That's unquote. The documents reportedly outline how pro prosecutors believe that Ballard communicated with a psychic to speak to the prophet Nephi, quote, to get intel, unquote, on how to rescue children. So Ballard has since uh, responded in a video saying it's not true. Nothing you hear is true. These sorts of things. Um, 
I have no idea if any of that's true. And I don't, I don't follow every, every twist and turn of Tim, Tim Ballard by any stretch of the imagination. I do got to think that that's not a great way to start your campaign for us Senate though. But what are your thoughts, Todd? Well, you know, Tim Ballard, um, he founded a, a organization called Operation Underground Railroad. I'm sure most people, and then he's the subject of this hit surprise hit film, Sound of Freedom. And, um, um, Sean Reyes, you know, in his press release this week, and I always, I always think it's interesting when uh, elected officials and other prominent people feel compelled to release a press release saying, I'm not going to run for this office. I, <laughs> I have mixed feelings about that. But that's exactly what Sean Reyes did this week. And clearly, he's floated his name. In fact, Politico had an article um, six mm. or eight months ago that I was interviewed for saying that Sean Reyes was was you know taking steps to run against Mitt Romney but I always think so anyways uh Sean Reyes releases a statement saying I'm not going to run but there's this patriot you know warrior who is going to run and he'll be announcing in the next couple of days everybody who knows Sean Reyes knew he was talking about Tim Ballard um and then this bizarre you know uh, chain of events comes out where apparently Vice uh magazine or Vice I guess it's a website now they did a, a Freedom of Information Act, I guess, from the Department of Justice and got all of these documents. I heard through a third party that Troy Rawlings, who did this investigation, was shocked at the amount of information that Vice had obtained because apparently they didn't go to the Davis County Attorney's Office, but he was working in conjunction with, I think, the FBI or Department of Justice so that they got it from the federal side. And I haven't talked to Troy Rawlings about this, but that's what I understand from a third party. But in any event, um, it's the, you've hit the highlights, and then we—I've never seen the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints come out like they did and and condemn someone like they have and call this more morally what was it reprehensible, unacceptable, or unacceptable or questionable behavior. Um, but even more bizarre than than the psychics and Nephi and all of this is Tim Ballard's response because he apparently was on a tour in Boston with some of his investors or supporters and asked them to record a 10 minute rant um, and told people, please record this and send it to media outlets, which of course happened. And um, I don't know if you watched any of that. I sent you a link earlier today, but, uh, and I think this was Friday or Saturday, but he was visibly angry. Uh, he was saying that he didn't believe that this was actually from the church and um, that, uh, you know, that uh, Elder Ballard was a grandfather to him and then had actually been on that same tour of Boston with him. And uh, he, he was at times shouting and upset, said that, you know, um, he felt blindsided by this. He said he called his own LDS state president and asked him if he had any notice that this was coming. And he kept on emphasizing that he is saved uh, 7,000 uh, women and girls from the sex trafficking industry. And how could the church think that that was uh, morally reprehensible or whatever the term was? Um, I will say this, it's my understanding as a state lawmaker, this is my understanding that, uh, that Tim Ballard pays some money to the attorney general's office. And that money is coupled with a lot more taxpayer money that you and I and others in Utah are paying for. And then OUR, in exchange for their donation of a million dollars a year, takes all of the statistics from that division of the AG's office and counts it as their successes when they mm. when, when they share, you know, with their investors what they've accomplished. And so um, 
I'll let people draw their own conclusions. So for instance, if the taxpayers were funding $10 million of this division, I'm not saying they are, I don't know the exact numbers, and Ballard's uh, OUR is funding $1 million, and then you take the statistics for the year for all $11 million and say, this is all because, you know, mm. basically buying those statistics from the AG's office. Some people have felt like that was, um, you know, interesting way of, of conducting business. But he, uh, in his rant that uh, was recorded, um, he also denied the allegations. He said he never, ever once claimed that Elder Ballard was involved in any of his businesses. Um, and so um, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I know that he uh, had already engaged a fundraiser, a well-known fundraiser. I'm not going to use any names, uh, but clearly. And oh, the, the, the weirdest thing I thought he said in that, that rant was that it, it had been leaked to the media that he was planning to announce a run for the U.S. Senate. Well, if anyone leaked it, it was Sean Reyes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, and and usually, um, if someone's running, going to be announcing a campaign, they kind of want that word to get out there to kind of scare off other people from announcing and to prime the pump for fundraisers. So that was very. It was a it was a bizarre reaction from him um, that I don't think uh, has made the situation better. If anything, I think it's made it made it worse. Yeah, I had I had several people reach out to me and say, "Is this a done deal? Is you know, is he going to wrap up the Senate race pretty easy?" And I was just like, "I don't really see that. I, I'm not even sure that a lot of people know who he is. I mean, maybe maybe he's more famous than I think. Um, I know that a lot of folks have seen the video, and and I need to. I still have not seen it. Uh, I know a lot of folks say that it's uh, that it's pretty moving and and inspirational and I'm, and I'm sure it is but we're still talking about probably a smaller po part of the population that's seen the movie or ha certainly have any idea who he is yeah so um i think he's fairly well known in utah but i will tell you um i have friends who have worked inside of the our organization of course tim ballard uh has was separated from our several months ago and is not profiting at all from the sound of freedom is what i've read but there's kind of been a whisper campaign for quite a while, especially this year that, you know, that Tim Ballard, you know, may, you know, maybe is, is, is at least as interested in promoting himself and his own hero status as he is in, 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 in rescuing children. And I think that has worked against him. And I've heard those whispers for a couple of years now, but they've certainly been more intense since Sound of Freedom came out. And especially in the past couple of days since Mitt Romney announced his, um, so, so he has a fan base, but there's also people that think um, that, that he's used the, you know, this cause, which is a noble cause to maybe enrich himself and to uh, promote his own uh, hero status. All right, let's move on to a couple of federal topics that I think are important for this week. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced an impeachment inquiry into President Biden because Hunter Biden, due to Hunter Biden's business dealings, profiting off of uh, Vice President Biden's position and dealing with uh, with foreign entities, and I think that this is overdue. And it's really interesting that you know a lot of this stuff has not been covered; it's been just viewed as like. Oh, it's just uh, it's just Republicans. It's just conservatives trying to 
chase down red herrings, but there is a lot of smoke and uh, it really seems like there's fire. And so our entire delegation has said that it's, a, that it's appropriate and something that needs to be done. And even Senator Mitt Romney said it was not inappropriate, du- double negative, not inappropriate. In other words, he, even he thought that it, it made sense. So kind of when you've lost Mitt Romney, you're in a bad place for president Biden. So what we're really talking about is Hunter Biden making millions of dollars off, uh, gas, uh, you know, Ukrainian energy companies. And how does, uh, a man who is, you know, I'm not, I I don't, I don't want to tear people down, but obviously he's got a, a long history of drug addiction and, and just a very troubled life, not a successful guy making millions of dollars. And it's pretty clear that a lot of that, that that money is kind of fungible between the family, you know, where the uncle is given money and, and Hunter Biden's paying for things for his dad. And, and it's pretty clear that in the emails that, that president Biden as vice president knew about a lot of this stuff and was very much like in conversations with Hunter Biden. So it's pretty bad. And I think I commend the, uh, the house for moving forward. Um, Speaker McCarthy. Now, this is a impeachment inquiry, and why that matters is it's really constitutional that you know, I mean the uh, the Congress needs to basically vote on an impeachment proceeding, and that is not what's happened right now. I don't think there's enough votes. Um, remember that that Republicans have a margin of about five votes well, four or five down one since friday that's right and then chris stewart's last day was was on friday so four now so so it's very slim and you have probably at least a dozen members who are in districts that biden won who are not quite ready to make the jump so so this is an impeachment inquiry which is kind of just another a way around so that the committees of jurisdiction can have that have the subpoena power that's what it is. So to, for the committees to have subpoena power and start to kind of look into this, but it's not, it's not a formal impeach, uh, impeachment process. And remember just, just for everyone's just recollection under the constitution, you can think of an impeachment as basically an indictment. And then the Senate is kind of the jury that will decide kind of convict or not. And so far we've, you know, president Clinton was impeached kind of indicted, but he wasn't ever, the Senate didn't convict. And the same thing with both Trump impeachments. So in this case, we're not even actually entering the process of impeachment, but it's kind of a workaround to get that subpoena power to start looking into this. Something that I think, you know, everyone recognizes, you know, everyone who's being honest recognizes there's there's serious smoke here that we need to, we need to pursue. And you have a, a mainstream media that's just ignoring it and trying to make excuses and saying, writing, writing articles. I mean, these are, these are supposedly nonpartisan, not opinion, uh, but journalists, reporters who are writing things like, you know what this, this saga really just demonstrates to us is the love of a father for his son, you know, kind of thing. And it's just, give me a break. I mean, how, how, how far do you have to go to be a shill for these guys? But anyway, Todd, what do you think? Well, so Hunter Biden is a sleazebag. I mean, this is a guy who, um, you know, was using crack cocaine, sleeping with his dead brother's wife, 
while also having an affair with a stripper. And when he gets her pregnant, then tries to run away from that, doesn't want the child to have his last name. Um, literally nothing respectable about this guy. But I'm going to push back on a couple of things. So number one, I think the more the Republicans are talking about Hunter Biden, the more we're, we're not winning the hearts and minds of independent voters. Um, clearly, uh, he's a scumbag. He, he belongs in jail. Uh, he's been indicted on federal gun charges, but I, I don't know that that's going to lead to anything because the Department of Justice seems to just want to make this go away and protect the president. But number Dude, did you freeze or did I freeze? <laughs> but I there you go. You're back. One of my frustrations with Washington, and I think um, a lot of the American people would agree with me, is this frustration when the parties just switch scripts every two years when the situation changes. So a couple of years ago, all of us were arguing that you have to have a high crime or misdemeanor for impeachment and that they never identified what crime President Trump committed. No one has identified what crime Joe Biden has committed. Um, and I'm not saying that he's blameless. I'm saying a high crime is a high crime. Number two, we were very critical that um, uh, Nancy Pelosi started the impeachment proceedings without a full vote of the House. Uh, just a week or two ago, Kevin McCarthy told President, you know, said that he wouldn't start it without a full vote of the House. Now we're, we're doing the same things. We started without a full vote of the House, and, and you've identified why. And so we're exactly the same thing that Nancy Pelosi did that we, as Republicans, criticized a few years ago. Now we're going down the same road and saying, well, she did it so we can do it too. And I get it. I, I get the revenge. Uh, you know, a lot of Republicans believed uh, that the first, especially the first uh, impeachment of Trump was unwarranted. And, and I said at the time, and many other people did, if you lower that bar for impeachment, Every time there's a president of one party and a house controlled by a different party, we're going to have an impeachment. And that's what we're seeing here. And I know what's good is good for the goose is good for the gander. But I hate this, Corey, that our party, we all we we had all these high and mighty principles about an impeachment three years ago. And now we're basically saying, well, if Pelosi did it, we, we should do it, too. I, I will end with this. I think the most damning uh, evidence that we have is on Hunter Biden's laptop. There was a, a text or an email from Hunter to his own daughter saying, I would never do what, uh, to you what my father has required of me. I have to pay half of my income to my dad. I am paying his bills. This is Hunter admitting that there's a, yeah. a scheme there. Um, again, um, you know, uh, I don't like any of this, but I also don't like this game where we just switch scripts every two years and make each other's arguments. I just, I, I just think it's so... Uh, politically hypocritical, and I just don't have an appetite for it. So I get what you're saying. Uh, I think that one of the problems we have it, is that our our justice system isn't necessarily going to go and investigate that. I mean, the upside is we do have have a couple of whistleblowers that's really got the the ball rolling, and maybe maybe the impeachment inquiry is the is the best way to go about it. Um, I, I take your point about how um, we're trying to they're trying to skirt the rules. I think what we're really doing though is ultimately let's look into it. There's a lot of smoke. There's a heck of a lot of smoke. Let's take a close look and find out where's the fire. And if there ends up being no fire, then well, there's no impeachment. Um, 
Proceed. Yeah, I have I have no objection to looking into it, but you know when Pelosi started uh, proceedings without a House vote, Republicans that were subpoenaed said, "I don't have to obey the subpoena because it's unauthorized." And we're going to see now the Democrats again because we've just switched yeah. groups. Now the Democrats are going to do the same thing, and so I just hate this game where we're all making the same arguments on each side every time the situation reverses. I as a as a as an American citizen. I want a little bit better than that from my leaders in D.C. Last topic here. Are we going to have a government shutdown? Well, the Senate last week, this past week, was debating a three-bill minibus. It ended up shrinking McCarthy and, uh, and the leadership in the House. They moved to just focusing on the defense bill in order to have a chance of, I mean, the idea is the house, the Senate has passed bills, appropriations bills, and the house needs to pass something. Otherwise it's not going to have any leverage in a negotiation. And what was disappointing to me, and I kind of understand why I guess, but disappointing to me is that house Republicans were not able to pass a defense bill. This is a defense bill that had language on abortion. It had a language on, paying for transgender surgeries, you know, it had, it had, had language for paying for travel for abortion, all these different things. So it, it had a lot of, uh, you know, conservative stuff in there, but they weren't able to pass it because ultimately, even though everyone agreed that it was a good bill among Republicans, it was like, we can't pass a bill because then we're going to lose the negotiation. But um, I don't know, that's a lot of inside baseball, but the bottom line being, we're probably headed towards a government shutdown. I'm not sure if it's going to happen in two weeks, week and a half, or whether it's that it'll get pushed to December, but I think there's a very good chance. And so what does that mean? Well, what we found, you know, during the first couple shutdowns, there's particularly here in Utah, like a lot of the conversation was about the national parks being closed and, and that's likely, although not guaranteed to happen. But what we did learn from the last two and we've done, we've done the shutdown thing, you know, probably about four times now in the last, you know, however many, 20 years or whatever. And what we've learned is Amer the American people have learned the secret, which is everyone gets paid anyway. So all we're doing is delaying their pay. So I wonder if it's going to take a little bit longer than, uh, than we hope in order to, to get a negotiated deal. I mean, I want, I'm, I really want House Republicans to have a strong defense bill so they have a strong negotiating position. And where we are right now is just fighting over things. And, um, you know, there's, again, there's amendments on Ukraine. Um, there's, there's amendments on drag shows and diversity programs and a lot of stuff that a lot of folks on the, on, on the conservative side care about. And a lot of that is not going to get moved at all because we're kind of stuck in this and so anyway yeah we're gonna, probably going to have a shutdown i i totally agree and um you know i i think we hit a low point uh, in my opinion when we have matt gets on the house floor openly threatening speaker mccarthy and of course speaker mccarthy had to make certain compromises to to become speaker but because of this small majority for republicans People like Matt Getz, who have completely, I don't know what world he lives in, but the Senate's not going to agree to anything that he's demanding be included in the budget. So I, I don't think um, a shutdown is avoidable. And unfortunately, and we've seen this happen every time it's happened, 
the the American public, uh, the under, the independent voters, they always blame the Republicans when it comes to the shutdown. This won't help our party, you know, in the 2024 elections if there's a long shutdown. And like you said, you know, all of the government workers will eventually get paid anyways. It does hurt places like Utah, uh, like if our national parks close in October, uh, that's when a lot of Europeans and Australians come over to see Zions and 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 Bryce and um, and if those parks close, uh, our hotels and restaurants that survive October is like one of their biggest months, and they have a short season. So shutdowns do hurt the state of Utah. Hurt hurt you. They hurt Utah businesses, and they accomplish very little. So I I I'm dismayed and disappointed that we're we live in a country where everything has to be come down to the wire and threats and and last minute crises to justify anything. But um, I, I think we all know how this will end. Uh, there, there will be a compromise and the Democrats will get at least part of what they want. And um, that that's how it goes every time. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more extreme than that. I think the, the way that they've always ended, and so it'll probably end this way this time too, is to get the bills over the over the finish line, it's majority Democrat votes, and so basically yeah. we're letting them decide. And uh, you know, and it's it's frustrating. I'll I'll tell you just as reference for the debt ceiling bill, raising the debt ceiling. You know whether we thought that was a good idea or not. Uh, Republicans really got all their ducks in a row, and had a strong negotiating position, and basically got everything they asked for. And I know folks who are listening right now would say, Corey, we got we got completely rolled on that deal. And I would say we definitely didn't get everything that I wanted or anything that you wanted, everything that you wanted. But I, I challenge anyone to name one single thing that President Biden got out of that bill. It was it was a master class in like just beating the Democrats across the board. Now, did we get everything we wanted? Did we get what was worth raising the debt ceiling? OK, that's a, that's a, that's a conversation we should have. But in terms of like what do Democrats get out of it? Not a not a thing. And so I think that the reason that happened is. They had their ducks in a row and had negotiating position, knew what they were asking for. And here we're in a position where we have 200 and something members of Republicans who all have a different demand. And that just makes it impossible to get anything that we want. And even with a bill that everyone agrees is good. But in any case, any last words on that, Todd? No, I, I can't disagree with anything you're saying. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks a bunch. Thanks a bunch.